This morning's sermon is found in Luke's chapter, Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. Let's seek the Lord's blessing. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We praise you for it. And we ask that you would have mercy and look upon us and help us to see and help us to understand and help us to know Jesus and his kingdom and his power. That we as weak vessels would know the glory, the goodness, and the power of your kingdom and be used by you to extend it. That we would love what it is you do and how you do it. And we will give our lives wholly to you and to your cause. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. Do you ever get tired of the things that are going on around you in the world? Do you ever get fed up with what's happening? Do you find yourself praying for changes in power, in government, in in those who rule? Do you find yourselves ever frustrated with rules or laws or legislation that force you or thinks forcing you to do things that are you don't like to do or you find oppressive or you just find bothersome? Do you ever find yourself there? Do you often talk about the current issues and problems in America today and then discuss what needs to change? Have you ever solved the world's problems? You know, sit around and if they would only do this, this, and this, I'm telling you everything would be different. Well, if you have, you're not much different than the people of Israel in the time of Jesus. Because they would do that as well, often. I want us to read the text this morning, and you'll see that John the Baptist is wondering about Jesus. And there's a good reason for that. And we're going to see why he's wondering. But let's read it. And, and John has some doubts. He has some questions. He has com- some concerns. So starting in verse 18, the story picks up. He says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, to John. And so John, calling two of his disciples to him, he sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? Now, Right away, you should say, what's John thinking? What's going on in John's mind? Are you, should we be looking for another? Are you the one? He's wondering. He's questioning. He's doubting. He's, he's concerned about, is Jesus truly the Messiah? Is really what's going on here. And it starts again in verse 20. And when the men had come to him, him being Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In that hour, and look at Jesus' response. In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many whom were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. 
Do you realize that in Jesus' day, everybody was expecting the son of David to come and establish his kingdom in all its glory? Yet, Jesus' kingdom does does seem quite different than the promise. So you have the promise, and then you have what Jesus is doing, and John the Baptist is scratching his head. And he wants to confirm, is this, are, are you the, truly the Messiah? Because I want us to do something now for a moment, and we're going to go back into the Old Testament, and I'm going to read some promises, and I want you to somehow listen carefully and try to see why John the Baptist might have asked the question, are you the Messiah? Are you truly him? Because listen to how it puts it. I'm going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the promise given to David by God, 11 through 17. It says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and he, who shall come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Pretty great promise. It's a promise of David's throne, of David's kingdom. His son is going to establish his eternal kingdom. And then there's Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, which says, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. Or how about Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. The book of Isaiah is loaded with prophecies like this. For example, I'll just read another one, Isaiah 6. Uh, through seven, nine, ch- chapter 9, 6 through 7 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There shall be no end to the increase of his government or peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And then there's Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. I'll read a shorter excerpt from it. Then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse and a branch from the root that will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And the wolf will will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We could turn and look at Isaiah 33.20 and see the same thing. And if Isaiah weren't enough, we turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, uh, which was read for us this morning. 
verse 24, Ezekiel 37, 24, or Jeremiah 30, verse 9, or Amos 9, 11 through 15, where it says the, these passages say things like this. In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, and I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. And they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord their God. So is that the vision? Is that the vision you or I would have of Messiah when he shows up and we see what Jesus is doing? Can you see, can you understand why John the Baptist might be scratching his head a little bit? Is Jesus showing up and is he establishing his throne in the kingdom? And is he, is he freeing Israel from its oppressors, the Romans, and, and then establishing the glory and the power and the kingdom of Israel again? And so that the, he'll sit on the throne of his father, David, and rule over them and bring all this blessing? Wouldn't you be scratching your head along with John the Baptist? Wondering, is this truly Messiah? Because he's not doing any of that. You know the disciples following Jesus? They too thought that it was simply just a matter of time before Jesus would restore the kingdom to Israel. Because after the resurrection and just before Jesus' ascension, the disciples asked him this in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they still think it's just a time frame issue. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that my father has fixed by his own authority. So they were still expecting this physical kingdom that, of David and all, like, how is the promises being fulfilled about Messiah? This glorious kingdom under his rule. Yet Jesus' whole ministry was declaring that the kingdom of God was at hand and in their midst. He was going around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and saying it's in your midst. The kingdom of God is at hand. What are you talking about? Scratching their heads. This doesn't make any sense. The problem is the disciples did not understand even the nature of the kingdom. They didn't know until the Spirit came, the Spirit was poured out, and there was more revelation, and they started to understand that the kingdom was not of or like the kingdoms of this world. It was a kingdom of God, not a kingdom of man. And as a kingdom of God, it would be of the Spirit, not of the flesh. So even though all the prophetic texts speak in these very physical terms that relate to the physical kingdom of David, he ruled. It was only a type and a shadow of the, of the kingdom that was, Jesus was going to establish. Because Jesus' kingdom, the, the eternal throne, is, is established on the eternal throne in heaven. In the midst of the real holy of holies. The real temple of which the one in Jerusalem was only a type and a shadow. It was in, he- uh, in heaven, unable to be seen with the eyes of flesh. So even though it was spoken of in very earthly terms, the proper interpretation of it was hidden until the pouring out of the Spirit. Because the, the power of the kingdom was breaking out before their very eyes. Jesus was dismantling the powers 
the true powers. Roman, they didn't need to be free from Rome. They needed to be free from sin, death, and the devil. That's the freedom they needed. They were enslaved. They were in bondage from their father, Adam. Adam had enslaved them. They were truly under its grip and power. And who cares a hill of beans if you're free from the Romans, but you're bound to sin, death, and the devil? Who cares? But Jesus is going about bringing freedom, setting the captives free, acting as the true David who could truly deal with the root of the issue. And the root of the issue was right here in the breast of Israel. And he was setting them free. He was working his power and his might. And this is why Jesus does what he, what he knows was foretold of Messiah. When Jesus hears what John is struggling with, what does he do? John is struggling, asks, sends his disciples to ask the question, are you the one or should we look for another? And look what it says in verse 21. I find this fascinating. Jesus actually doesn't say anything at that time. Verse 21, it says, in, in that hour, he turns around and he gets busy doing something. He healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And then he turns and answers them. So he goes around and he heals all these various different people, the blind, and raises up the dead, and he, and he goes around and cleanses the lepers, and, and, he, and he does this for the disciples to watch, and then he comes back to them and he says this in verse 22. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And that's it. Now why did he do that? The reason he does this is that he wanted them to see. To see this power working in front of them and then tell John. Because he knows that John knows the scriptures. He knows that John understands the book of Isaiah and laden throughout of it. Throughout it, Jesus' ministry was the ministry of Messiah was going to have this healing ministry. Isaiah twenty nine, Isaiah thirty two, Isaiah thirty five, Isaiah forty two, etc. All speak of the blind receiving their sight, the deaf hearing, and the lame walking. The ministry of the Messiah. And John knows that this will only happen through the Messiah. It's his particular ministry. So even though Jesus doesn't explain for him the other parts of the prophecy concerning the kingdom, he does want him to have certainty to who he is. I want him to know who I, I am. I want John. You see, this, think of the concern of Jesus. Right away he hears that John is questioning. Doubting, wondering, what does Jesus do? He immediately, he's concerned for John. He wants John to see and know the truth. And so he goes and he does these things. And he says, I want you to tell John this, because I know John, and I know John knows the Bible really well. And when John hears this, this will give him uh, assurance. It'll strengthen his faith. So they go and tell him. And you know what? I have found in my own life that as I have cried out to God, to show me things, and to help me understand, he so graciously and patiently does. He's faithful. It's like, you see the heart of Jesus here is desire 
for his people. He doesn't want you doubting and wondering and questioning, but we often don't even like to send the question. We're embarrassed to ask the question. Well, don't be embarrassed to ask the question. Because if you see the heart of Jesus, he loves his people. He wants them to know. Cry out to him and seek him. If, you, if, if you're seeking to understand and you really want to know God's ways, if you really want to understand, seek him and he will answer you. And you know, you should expect him to answer you because that's his heart, his desire. He wants to reveal it to you. He wants to show it to you. Remember, even things about questions in regard to you know, his kingdom and what is it really like. And if you, you ask, Lord Jesus, what is your kingdom? I, I really would love to understand it and know it. Could you please show it to me? Could you please reveal that to me? He will. He will. Because that's what he's like. Revealing and showing his people the truth. He's not desirous to withhold truth. He's desirous to give it. To set his people free. But so often we don't even ask. We don't seek and we don't pursue. We just go about life thinking maybe we wonder our questions and we have our questions in our own head and our own heart. But we don't ever take it to the Lord and really cry out to him and give those questions to him. And ask him, please Lord, please guide, please show, please direct me in your word. And you'll be amazed what he, as you read his word and as you... Uh, uh, people, other Christians come into your life and other book, Christian books come into your life, how God reveals these things to you and shows you what's going on. Because here's something else. Once we understand that Jesus is Messiah and the nature of his kingdom, we come to understand that Jesus' kingdom is all we really need. It's what we really need. John and the disciples thought they needed freedom from the Roman oppression. They needed the peace and blessing in the land. They needed justice and reformation of society. And that would, that would come through this king of David. But as Jesus shows, we don't need political power. We don't need a new president. We don't need a lobbyist group or anything of the sort. What we need are anointed preachers of the gospel. We need prayer warriors. We need to be loving, serving, and giving justice and freedom to the people around us. And why is that? Why? Because as Jesus demonstrated, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in the Lord for tearing down strongholds. We have spiritual weapons that tear down the gates of hell. The kingdoms of men... Think of this for a moment. What does a kingdom, if you were to establish a kingdom on this earth, you need physical defenses, weapons, military, fixed territory, presidents, strongholds, and the like. These are the things that make up for the kingdoms of men. That's what you need. You need power. And this power can establish you, right? And what, where do you get this power? Through might, through strength, through weapons, through, through powerful stuff. Because if you've got big, powerful stuff, you're powerful. And you can establish your kingdom. But the kingdom of God doesn't need these things. It has the Spirit, God's Word, the sacraments, and God's people, which have the power to transform. 
This is why we need more faithful preachers, teachers, evangelists, prayer warriors, and worship services. Because in God's kingdom, when He speaks, He brings down the gates of hell. His mere word. You want to talk power. Listen to this. You could, you could take all the military might and power in the world, every speck of it, and pile it all up. And give it to one person and says, there you go. You've got all the power in the world. And God would look at that and laugh. Laugh. Because he could go, boom. And it would all disappear. He could say, let there be light. And guess what happens? There is light. He can say, let there be a galaxy. Because we've seen it. Nowadays, through technologies, he loves to create galaxies for some reason. They're, they can't even number them. So he likes to say, let there be a galaxy. And there is a galaxy. This is the thing about God's kingdom. And this is why it's so word-based. <laughs> the foolishness of preaching. Some guy, I'm going to have some guy up there who just talks to them and tells them about what Jesus did, and I am just going to destroy the gates of hell. Why? Those words can come in by the Spirit. The Spirit does something in people's hearts. He transforms them and he changes them. They become new creatures, and they start serving and obeying Him. And He says, see? See how easy it is? That's the power of His kingdom. And that's, all, that's what we need. We need God to speak. Because if He speaks, everything changes. That's what we need. We don't need a new political party. We don't need a new president. We don't need new forms of government and all this stuff. If we're trying to build a kingdom, the kingdoms of this earth, or the kingdom of man, then yeah, that's the kind of thing that you need for it. But the kingdom of God, the power is so far beyond all that garbage. So all you need is a declaration. Declare to people. Tell them about Jesus. And you want to see power to transform. There you have it. You know, the problem comes when God's people get too busy playing with sin and not busy enough seeking God. There's an, there's an issue here. So if we talk about this is God's kingdom, and this is what it does, and it has all this power and all this greatness and all this glory to it, why does it not seem to be happening here and now? The answer to that question is that God's people often have a problem. And God's people often love to go and start to play with sin and head toward idols. And they're not too busy seeking God. They're really busy seeking their own kingdoms and their own glory. We're too busy walking in the flesh and not in the power of the Spirit. But whenever God's people deal with their sin, get grounded in the gospel, walk according to the Spirit, they do more damage to their community through their prayers, through their praising of God, through the preaching of the gospel, and through their love to one another in their community than any power in the world could ever imagine. But the problem with God's people is that we usually begin to play with the things we shouldn't play with. We usually begin to play with sin, 
walk in the flesh, love the things in the world more than we love God. And what happens? Whenever that happens, what does God do? He pulls back. He draws back. And we have no power. We end up with no more impact in our city or community than the local Boys and Girls Club. Just look at Europe and North America. And you will find a complacent church, Christians in love with the world and the things in the world, being very slack on sin, big on very cheap, easy believism, and very involved with their own selfish pursuits. And because there's a lack of power and transformation, there's a lack of seeing God work and transform people's lives, transforming cities and communities, we think, we began to think we get lustful and we get desirous for God, for something to change, for things to dramatically change. And so what do we do? We start putting our efforts and our energy into things that can actually make a physical difference. We want to see the change. So we have to put new power in place, get a new leader, find someone who can make the changes that we think are needed. And if that somehow is our solution, we'll get so caught up, I guarantee, in this next presidential election, watch the church. The church will go crazy over this. They'll just get right into it. They'll be watching the TV. Oh, if we could get this guy, we'll, get, we'll start comparing these, these, uh, these leaders and seeing who, you know, if this guy was in, man, this would, this would make all the difference. It's just people who, who, God's people who are completely lost sight of the power of the kingdom of God and are like acting as if the power of the kingdoms of men is where it's really happening. This is, where, this is how you shake things up. That's how you change the world. This is how you really make a difference. It's because we see such a lack of power, the power of God that we think that maybe God is going to work through this as be his means. We start, we start acting like Israel when they started thinking. They probably sat around and thought, you know, hey guys, listen, things aren't moving and shaking right now. It's just not really happening. What if we go back to Egypt? Because, you know, at least there, they, at least they have power. And God just seems so distant. But it's a lie. It's a lie. Because that's how the kingdoms of this world are built. What we need is the power of God and of his kingdom to go forward. And this happens whenever you see God's people to be being vigilant with their sin, rejoicing in the gospel, walking according to the spirit, and seeking God to move. And then look. Look out. The city won't be the same. If God moves, He can tear down the gates of hell so fast to make your head spin. You could labor your whole life for 80 to 100 years in blood, sweat, and tears, just working and working and laboring and laboring, and it just feels like total vanity. Because unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain. But he could speak a word and transform everyone's life. And the problem is never with God. It's always with us. If you go to, the, if you go to sub-Sahara Africa, India, China, or South America, where God is powerfully moving, you will feel, find God's people who are vigilant in regard to their sin, who are rejoicing in the gospel, 
who are walking in the power of the Spirit and who are seeking God diligently to move. And it's just, it's happening. So the question we have to wrestle with, if Jesus is not powerfully moving and shaking in our midst, in our community, and in our city, then we need to look, where do we need to look? We need to look right here and realize, oh God, is it me? If there be any wicked or sinful way in me, if I'm just being an absolute fool, please God, show me. Please show me. And then once we see our sin and deal with it, we need the consolation and the goodness of the gospel. We need to get the gospel straight and rejoice in it and give thanks. And we need to begin walking in the power of the Spirit, not according to the flesh, and seek God to move and look out. He will. The sad part is that there could be some of you here today, maybe there's someone, maybe there's some of you, who don't care to do any of that. You could be content with making your money, having your comfortable home, eating your food, and doing it what it is you're doing, and just going about what you're doing. You come here, you sing some songs, you give a prayer, hear a sermon, then you go back into building your own kingdom and doing your own thing the rest of the week. And if that's true, we're in trouble as a body. Because just like Israel suffered from Achan taking the idol and hiding it in his tent, why did all Israel suffer? They were just tearing things down. They were doing so great. And all of a sudden, they suffered this horrible defeat. And what was the problem? Well, this one guy decided to be a fool and think that it wouldn't affect anybody or everybody else. I'll just take some goods and hide them in my tent. But that's how individualistically deceived we are. We think, what I'm doing, what you're doing in your life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have any impact. It has a huge impact. And it really does matter. We are a body. The one body. One body of Christ. And it impacts everybody. The lie from the enemy that whispers in your ears, it doesn't matter. It doesn't impact anything or anyone else. It doesn't keep Christ's church from tearing down the gates of hell. Well, there's absolutely no other reason why God wouldn't work in power among us and begin changing our city and shaking things up. There's no other reason. The only reason he ever pulls back is because his people start acting hypocritically and begin serving other gods. So this is what I want to challenge you to this morning. As we look at the text, we look in Luke, and you see what Jesus is doing here in power, and you see what he's done, and you see what, how, how his, his kingdom is absolute power, and it goes about to tear down the gates of hell. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I don't do it, and I don't act like men, or the kingdoms of men. And so many people want the power, and they want, they want to see it... J- go from the top down where Jesus is all about from the bottom up he transforms people's lives I want to challenge you if we're going to see the power of Jesus in our midst and in our community and transforming people's lives we as God's people need to humble ourselves before him 
And I challenge you to bring yourself before God and do this. Ask Him to search you and to have His way with you. Ask Him to show you what it is you need to do. Do I have idols in my life? Lord, be completely, please, show me. Some of you might hate the question. I don't want to ask that question. I'm afraid he might, what he might show me. That's not a fun question. Say, God, here I am. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want to know your, the power of your kingdom. And I, want to, and I don't want me to be the, the, the person who's holding on to little precious idols and things that I ought not to be. If there be anything in me, search me and have your way with me. Show me what I need to do. And when he does, you need to, by the power of the Spirit, deal with it. Because that's the other thing that happens. God will show us some things. We're like, oh, um, I don't want to deal with that. Maybe later. Maybe some other time. Because it's not always fun to deal with sin, but it's always good. It's so good to be cleansed from it. Because I think, you know, until we deal with the issues in our own lives, in our own families, in our own homes... And stop living little private lives where we build our own little kingdoms. And we really, we really start to seek the Lord and look for Him to expose and examine us. And we deal with our own issues, whatever they may be. And I tell you, it doesn't take long. From today until next Sunday, you can go grab a few idols and stick them in your tent. It doesn't take long. So don't think that, you know, just because uh, you know, I've been a faithful Christian and, and you know, it's probably not going to happen to me. Well, it does. If you find your heart going very cold toward the things of God, there's probably issues. Ask God. He will show it to you. With all sincerity, say, God, show me. Please show me. He will show it to you. And you know what will happen? As we do this, as we deal with our sins, and as we draw near to God, and as He fills us up and strengthens us, and God powerfully has His way with us, Look out, because all he has to do is speak a word. And you want to see the city change? Do you want to see the community change? Just have God show up. That's all. And have him speak with power. And watch people cut to the heart, crying out, what must we do to be saved? That's the power of Jesus' kingdom. It's a power to transform lives, transform communities, and transform the world. Because Jesus is on his throne. He's on the eternal throne of David. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And do as I have done. And show the world that my kingdom is not of this world. It's of heaven. And watch the power of it work. Amen. Father, we're very grateful and thankful for your word. And we open our hearts before you right now, O oh God, and we ask, Father, please, if there be any sinful or wicked or evil way in us, if there be any idols we're holding on to, if there's things in our lives that we're really clutching and grabbing to, that we're in love with, and we need to surrender to you, O oh God, please, show it to us. Have your way with us, O oh God, and, and that we would be completely and wholly submitted to you, receiving and rejoicing and knowing the power of your resurrection, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. For we ask this in Christ.
Amen. Amen. Please stand.